Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Amen. All right, you can open your Bible up to uh, Judges chapter 7. We're going to be in the Old Testament. I love it. Look at the person next to you real quick, and I want you to say something. I want you to just say these words. Are you ready? All right, let's go ahead and for real do it right now. Are you ready? Are you ready? Go ahead. Okay, so I seriously asked that question because I believe we're going to be talking about that real question today, meaning are you ready? And I believe God always says, uh, especially those who are his children, yes, of course you're ready for what I've called you to. I'm, I ready my people for what I'm calling them to. I get them ready. So this, this June, I've mentioned a few times that, uh, you know, we finished a series on Jesus for a year, and uh, in July, we're actually starting a new series. And really, this month, I've just been speaking some passion messages. And what I've found is that the Lord's been leading into just these messages, hopefully being encouraging messages to you and where you're at in your life. And, and that's, of course, I hope what we're going to do today. And when we get in Judges 7, we're going to talk about a guy named Gideon, and, and I think that we'll find out. First, I want to start with a different story, though. Um, it's a, a different ancient story, and most of you... Maybe you've heard this story at some point or another, but it's a familiar story from history in which uh, there was a battle between the Greek states, um, ancient Greek states, and, and the Persians, the invading Persian army. It happened around 500 B.C., and the Greek army was greatly outnumbered. Uh, in the most famous battle, there was about 100,000, maybe 150,000 Persians that went against some Greeks, and the legend is that it went against 300 Greeks, and there's this story that a lot of you, legend says that a million Persians showed up, but the real truth is around 100 to 150,000, and anyone familiar with this battle, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, I kind of, maybe, maybe, maybe this poster will help you remember, uh, yes, 300, right, that is Leonidas, Leonidas had just finished P90X, and a few rounds of jazzercise, I think, before he went into this battle, but I'll remind you of the story if you don't know it. There's 300, three, Leonidas trains 300 um, highly skilled fighters. They are from Sparta, you know, that, that whole scene. They're from Sparta, the Spartans, and they have this, they're, they're all out of, you know, 6 a.m. boot camp as well. And most of us, we know the story, and we know that it's 300, and it's against, we think, a million, but it's actually more like 100 to 150,000. And, um, and we also don't know this, that there's a lot of other Greek states that sent their there um, there's soldiers there too, so there's actually an additional thousand on the Greek side. There's around 1,300 uh, in this battle up against 100 to 150,000. So uh, it was actually, you know, imagine like, uh, you know, 100 fighters in the ring with against one. This is what they're up against. It's actually technically 13 point, you know, five or something like. I don't know. I don't know how many it is. 135 or something like that. I mean, so there's this 150 to 100. 100 to 150 against one, and they're led by these 300 Spartans, and they have this battle against the Persians for over two days, and somehow they hold them off and, uh, and outlast them, and their feat has been largely, you know, admired and sort of marveled at by historians, and, um, and it certainly has some inspiration. It's, it's, it's amazing. They held off this army for two days, but in the end, they do lose. So uh, what's the big deal? You know what I mean? But 
In the end, they lose, and it's understood. They had this tremendous disadvantage, but there was some sort of military strategy that people have always thought was quite inspiring, which I think brings us to the story, and why I tell that is to tell the story we're going to look at today in, in Judges, uh, chapter 7, of a, of a man named Gideon, and I'll give you a b- brief background on Gideon, and, and if you have your Bible open, you can flip back to f- chapter 6. I'm not going to really read much out of it, but I'm, I'm going to reference what's in that chapter for just a moment. Gideon is just a guy. He's just a, he's just a dude. You know, he's just this normal, everyday guy. He didn't think a lot of himself. He actually saw himself as small and insignificant. Two words, of course, we used this last week. This is how Gideon sees himself. Uh, very little stature, no importance. He's living during a time that the enemies of God's people are just overrunning them. The Midianites specifically are overrunning God's people, and they're in hiding. They're raiding them. They're robbing them of their food. They're murdering their children. They are, they, they are literally hiding in caves, and this is where Gideon is. He's hiding in a cave, and the Lord comes to him. It says, the angel of the Lord comes to him. And I will read this. It's Judges chapter 6, verse 12. It says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, the word says the angel of the Lord, just so you know, there's been a little bit of like, what does that mean? There was an angel representing the Lord, or was this actually the Lord? And most theologians believe, if you read the whole story, this is actually the Lord speaking to Gideon. And he says two things. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Two things that Gideon said, that doesn't really add up. First of all, the Lord does not feel like he's with us. He's not with me. I'm literally in a cave hiding. I'm, I'm hiding from our enemies. The Lord does not feel like he's with us. And me, mighty warrior, I'm sure he looked around and was sort of like, are you talking about me? Who me? Because here's what he says. He says about himself, he says, you don't understand. I am the weakest of the weak. I am the weakest clan in God's people. I am nobody's significance. And so Gideon is just thinking, I am this... This guy, I'm just a person. I'm no one special. Surely you've got the wrong guy. And the Lord says, I will be with you. Go in strength. He says one of those statements he says. And Gideon, he, he sort of is trying to embrace this. He says, fine. If, if you're really the Lord, I, I need you to prove yourself. And, and a lot of you have probably had encounters where you've sort, certainly wanted some sign from the Lord to prove that indeed the thing that you're feeling in your heart you're supposed to do, that there was some sort of sign to kind of affirm it, confirm it. And so he's, he's actually having a conversation with the Lord like, I want, you, I want you to, you know, prove yourself. And so he off, makes an offering to the Lord. He gets some goat meat. He makes an offering to the Lord. And he says, oh, I'm going to make this offering to you. And instantly the, a fire consumes the meat and it's gone, like in an instant. And Gideon's like, all right, well, obviously you're up to something. He said, but, but, but please forgive me. I have one more sign that I need you to do. I have this wool fleece, and he pulls out a wool fleece, and he says, I'm going to put this out overnight, and if you would do something for me, if you would make the wool fleece wet, like, and the, but the rest of the ground around it, like, completely dry. So when I wake up in the morning, the wool is wet with flea, or the, yeah, the wool is wet with dew, and the ground is dry. So, of course, Gideon wakes up in the morning, the ground is completely dry, picks up the sopping wet fleece, wrings it out, bowl full of water. He's like, okay, that's, that's pretty good. Um, 
but forgive me, Lord. Can you, can, you, can you do this one more time for me? And you guys probably know the story. And he, he says, now the next morning, would you make the ground completely wet? And would you make the wool fleece dry? It's coarse. Gideon goes to sleep, gets up the next morning, walks down in his ancient sandals. His feet get all wet as he walks through the grass because it's all completely wet. And he picks up the world's first shamwow because it's completely dry. You know what I mean? And he's like, he probably dries his feet off with that. And so he, he, he finally says, okay, okay, Lord, I relent. You're obviously, you're, you've obviously proven yourself. You're obviously calling me to this. And so Gideon says, okay, let's do this. So we'll move on to chapter 7. Some other things happen in chapter 6 that are significant, but for today's message, we'll just move to chapter 7, verse 1. Early in the morning, morning Gideon and all of his men camped at the spring of Herod, the camp of Midian that was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. Now, two things already in this story. Early in the story, Gideon, he was, of course, frightened. He was timid. He, he says, I'm not anyone special. And he takes his men to a spring called the Spring of Herod. Just so you know, sort of interesting. The word Herod actually means fear and trembling, so I love it. He, like, takes them literally to the, the spring in the, of fear and trembling. Like, hey, let's go there. That'll, that'll make sense. This is not exactly, you remember the Titans, Denzel Washington, Gettysburg scene here. Like, he's like, oh, we're going to go to the spring of fear and trembling. And now the second thing we need to know is where, where are the Midianites camped? They are camped in the what? In the valley. Yeah, they are in the valley, meaning Gideon is above them, and he can actually see them, and he can look and see, see them below in the valley. Verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. So I love this verse. Gideon is ready to go. He's finally relented to the Lord. He's going to do what he's been called to do. And later on, a few verses later, we'll find out that there are 32,000 Israelites at the, at the spring of Herod, at the, at the spring of fear and trembling. That's, there's 32,000 of them. He says that's too many. And we know this later in chapter 8, that there were 135,000 135,000 Midianites and Eastern peoples. And so already, and this is, this is, if you're doing a ratio, that's four to one. There's four people in the value, valley to one person on the mountain. All right, there's four to one. And the Israelites are way overmatched as it is, but the Lord says, that's too many people. I can't, I can't do it. The, you guys will boast in yourselves if I let you go into this. You will think you did this. Like you were that, you were that strong. Like you could take four men on by yourself. You're going to think too highly of yourselves, I can't do it. So then he says, God says this to Gideon, now announce to the army, this is verse 3, anyone who trembles with fear, well, they may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So there's 32,000 men, 22,000 left in fear and trembling, and they were afraid, and they were basically afraid of math right? Like they, they, they understood the math equations that they were up against. They were afraid. So you see 32,000, that's a respectable number. The Midianites and the camels that they had, it says that they are, they, they couldn't be counted. They were like sand of the seashore. There's at least 135,000 soldiers. So 22,000, of course, leave. There's 10,000 left to 135,000. Here we have, once again, very similar to our other 
other story, 13.5 in this case to one. So they're getting a ring against 13.5. That seems rather, you know, doable for somebody that's recently done P90X maybe. I don't know. Not, not good odds, but 10,000 still maybe they have a fighting chance. Verse four, but the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. To which Gideon was like, say what? <laughs> Did you say thin them out? If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Okay, so bear with me. I want you to get the full picture of this, all right? <laughs> this is so awesome. I love this story. So he says, anybody that gets on their knees and like throws their face into the water and is like, <laughs> you know, drinking like that, send them home. But anyone who gets on their knee and does one of these, cups their hand, and then drinks like this, <laughs> laps like a dog, I want them. Now, what's, what's hilarious about this is that commentators often say, oh, these were the people that were, they were alert. They didn't put their heads down. They kept their heads alert. These were the real warriors. And I'm like, no, 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 these are the weirdos. <laughs> Who drinks like that? Like, God's like, hey, what? Whoever's weird, I want them. I want those people, the awkward people, the weird people. That's who I want in my 300. And, and it, all the people that drink like a normal person, send them home. He's like, now I got my 300 against 135,000. So we go from four to one to 450 to one, just so you know. There's 451 now. There's 450 in the valley to one on the mountain. And God says, all right, Gideon, we're ready. You ready? We got this. God says, now I can do something. This is crazy, right? A few years ago, um, I took Karis uh, to a Thunder game. And it was like, she was like eight or nine years old, I think. And, you know, we get to the game and get to the pizza. And this is like when Kevin Durant was playing for us. Those were the glory days. And oh, I miss those days. And um, we're watching the game and they start doing the defense, defense. You know what I'm talking about, right? And, uh, and she starts doing it. She's like, defense. And I'm like, yeah, she's getting into the game. And she goes, I don't even know what defense is. <laughs> and I was like, yes. So daughter, and then I do the basketball lectures, you know, well, you need to be in the triple threat, and no, I didn't do that, but um, I don't even know what defense is, I just never forgot that, that was so funny, and, and, and I think about this moment with Gideon and the 300, I think this is what, what God is somewhat saying to him, God is like, I don't, even, I don't even know what defense is, Gideon, we're about to show these Midianites who the God of the universe is, he's ready to go on offense, so remember, Gideon isn't quite as confident, though. He needs wet fleeces and dry fleeces and all that sort of stuff. And so God knows this, and he gives him one more thing. God, Gideon even asked for this one, but God gives him one more assurance. Judges chapter 7, verse 9. Now the camp of Midian lay below them in the valley, 
During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Purah, and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all of the eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend a dream. He said, I had a dream. So the original I had a dream statement. Um, He was saying, a round loaf of barley came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. So when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. So for the 300, it's no longer about defense. It's all about offense. Now God can do something, and I believe this is how God likes it, right? He likes likes insurmountable odds. This is what we see over and over in the stories of the Scripture. This is what you maybe experienced in your life, but he loves the stories of the lion's den. He loves the story of the fiery furnace. He loves a few dozen disciples against the rest of the world, right? God's 300 is always better than our 32,000, just so you know. This is the upside-down nature of God's kingdom. He's always doing things that we don't expect. He's always doing things differently than we would do them, amen? And so here we are, and we don't always get God's ways. That's why in Isaiah 55, 8, it says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are always higher than yours. In other words, don't try and understand me. Just try and follow me. Don't try and always... Put your logical thinking into my ways of thinking. It's not going to work. So Gideon and his 300 create a scheme to some, some nature. God gives them a scheme through God's leadership that confuses the armies of the eastern people. And they end up turning on one another. If you read the story, you can find this out. Just keep reading. They turn on each other and they actually start fighting one another. And then the 300 come in and they kind of finish off the battle and they literally defeat They defeat these 135,000 enemies that they had, which makes me think all the time, why didn't they make a movie about that one? Because they actually won. (laughs) You know what I mean? They actually won the battle. And at the beginning of the story, you know, the angel of the Lord, he encounters the angel of the Lord, and he is called, and and, and the angel calls calls Gideon a mighty warrior. And and he doubts. He doubts himself in this moment. He's like, no, no, I, I don't feel strong enough. I I'm not important enough. I come from the weakest of the weak. And he starts to stammer and say these things. And the angel says, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'm with you. I'll give you strength. And Gideon doubts, of course. And but Give me a sign. Prove it. And, and I was wondering as I read this story and even as I thought about us today, like how many of us actually believe, how many actually feel like God could use us in a powerful way? And, and, and I tell the story, and I lead us to this point, to ask a real question. Do you, do you believe God could use you in a powerful way? And, and what does that mean? It, it could mean a lot of things. I'm not necessarily trying to define what powerful way means today. But it's this reality of what do you believe about yourself? Today's intended to be encouraging, and and I want it to be, but I'm not convinced a lot of us see ourselves as the ones that God would whisper to and say, you're a mighty warrior. (laughs) Maybe a lot of us are really like Gideon, right? Like, 
no, 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 no. I think you're talking to someone else. I think you have someone else in mind. You don't understand. Have you seen that guy over there? Have you seen that girl over there? They're, they're well, way more equipped. They know way more about the Bible. They're way more spiritual. Like, there's, there's, there's so many different things that we maybe say. Or, and and we, we may say, hey, God, surely, surely you have someone else because pretty much you just wanted to bless me with my life. Or you just want to take care of me, right? You're like, my relationship with the Lord is just like, well, Lord, you're just taking care of me. That's, you're surely never going to put anything and present anything that's scary and requires tremendous amounts of courage. That would never happen. We, we don't say that out loud, but a lot of us fall into that kind of life, don't we? To where we, we really believe that God and our relationship with God is just about him taking care of us versus calling us up to something. And so we lean into him caring for us and loving us and giving us grace and giving us forgiveness, but we rarely ever feel the call of a mighty warrior upon us. That God has called us a mighty warrior, right? Maybe we can relate with being one of the 32,000 we see ourselves as part of God's people. We even see ourselves as part of God's army. But if the opportunity presents itself when someone would literally say to us without any shame, hey, if you are afraid of actually going forward, if, 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 here's, this, here's these, these, these lines of faith and trust, but if you don't step past it, it's okay. You can go home. A lot of us relate with the 22,000, I think. Like we're in. We're part of God's family. But oh, oh, this is for the elite? Cool. You guys got this. We're, we're in. We're, we're part of the, the 32,000, right? We, we matter. But there's some jobs that just aren't for us. We'll go home. I'm not ready for that. Yeah, that, that, that's for someone else. Gideon had to trust the Lord with some specific things before God gave him victory. He had to let go of his self-doubt. He had to let go of doubts about the Lord. And he had to let go of his need for everything to add up. You know, um, in fact, I'll just put these words on this. This is, this is the defense we play with the Lord a lot. We play defense like we actually try and prevent movement, Right? out of our self-doubt. We don't believe that God would actually use us. We have a lot of self-doubt, whether it be what we feel about our own knowledge, our own experiences. And so we play defense, so to speak, by our own view of our own self. We don't see ourselves the way God sees ourselves. We see, the way our, we see ourselves the way we want to see ourselves or the way others have told us we are, and so we self-doubt. Some of us deal with that. Some of us deal with doubts about God, and we constantly God to prove something to us. Show me. Prove it. And we, so we continually put out some measure of test before the Lord all the time because we're just not really ready to step in, so we just need God to show us one more thing, answer one more prayer, affirm us one more way, show, you know, put, put some sort of, you know, Clouds in the sky that show us what to do. Have someone come up and talk to me today about this very specific thing. We say these sorts of things before we actually step into the things God calls us to because we feel like God has to prove once again. We struggle to actually trust his word, not only his written word, but his spoken word. And then, of course, the need for everything to add up. 
we need the numbers to, to make sense. We need to think, we, we need, we, these are the assurances, the insurances, these are the affirmations, the guarantees, these are the security measures that we take in life before we ever take steps into the unknown, right? We need these things to add up before we would actually trust the Lord with something that maybe he's putting on our heart. He, if he cares about us and loves us so much, he will make sure we're taken care of. That's what we say. We say, we, say, we, we want to make sure everything adds up. And these are the things we play defense. So we use these things as our defense from stepping deeper and trusting God for more from the courageous or even the miraculous. So that's what we use to play defense of God. But here's, here's our offense, just so you know. Your offense is that you're a mighty warrior. God says, I am with you. You're a mighty warrior. You know, God has proven himself over and over and over again throughout history. And instead of us saying, I don't know about if this is the Lord, he continually says, but I've, I keep proving myself over and over again. You can trust his word. And I say this, sometimes this is written word. We, we read the Bible and we need to trust what we're reading. We need to read this and go, wow, he really does give gifts to his people. He really does want to bring breakthrough. He really does want to bring healing. He really does want to use me beyond anything I've ever done. He really does believe his people will do greater things than he even did. We need to trust his word. But we also need to trust his spoken word, that God actually puts things on our hearts, that he whispers things to our souls, and we have to actually sometimes trust in those things instead of continually doubting the things that we know the Lord is saying to us. And then finally, we need to we need to believe that God does the most with the least. Not everything's going to add up. This is, what he, this is one of the favorite, favorite things that the Lord does throughout the scriptures, right? He always does the most with the least. That's why he takes this a boy with a few fish and a few loaves of bread and he feeds thousands. That's why he takes a few ordinary it says in acts they were ordinary unschooled people in the disciples and somehow he uses them to establish the church which became the greatest worldwide movement the world has ever known why was it because about those 12 no it was because it was because god was with them the spirit of god was behind it and when the spirit is with you you don't need things to add up when the spirit is with us he gives us the strength we need God does the most with the least. Proverbs, or excuse me, Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. I'm going to say that again. It's not on the screen. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he will help me. For many in this room, if I asked you, is your relationship with Jesus different now than it was a year ago, than it was two years ago? You would say definitely yes, it's different. Some of you may not. Some of you say, uh, it's not what it used to be. But a lot of you would say, it's stronger. I've seen God do things. I've seen God move. I've even seen God do miracles. And what I would say to you is you're not the same person as you used to be. You don't need to go where you used to go. And you don't need what you think you need. That's what I would say to you. For those of us who want to surrender to Jesus, I wonder how many of us in here want to surrender. Even as a believer, you want to say, I do, I, inside of me, I want everything, every part of me, I want it to surrender to Jesus. I want you to know that you will face things. If you want to surrender to Jesus, you will face things that are uncertain. You will face things that feel too big and too grand, and they seem like they're for someone else. The odds will be stacked against you. 
and maybe you're there right now. I can't tell you how many times in my life that I say, God, I cannot believe you're calling me to this. Not because I'm so excited, but because I'm so afraid. I've stood at the spring of fear and trembling. Have you? Have you stood at the place and said, if I actually do this, it feels like I'm risking everything, but I know the truth, I'm not. But it feels that way. The odds will be stacked against you and he'll whisper to you in those moments, I'm with you, mighty warrior. You will face days, seasons, and maybe even years where your faith would feel like it's just another act of courage. And I just want you to know your faith is not always about your courage, but it will never be absent of courage. Faith is about many things. It's not just about courage. Sometimes culture today says it's all about courage because we like that word. Be brave. Faith is not all about courage, but it will never be absent of it. You're not who you used to be. So don't go where you used to go. Don't think you need what you used to need. And so what I'm saying is probably a lot of us, maybe all of us in this room need to hear that you're actually ready. You're ready for what God's called you to, even though you don't feel like it. Gideon didn't think he was ready, but he was ready because why was he ready? Because he was a mighty warrior, that he could trust in his word, that God always does the most with the least. That's who, that's who God says is ready. <laughs> You're ready for whatever God has next. And I don't know what that is today. I, I just have a belief and I have a trust that there are people in here that are actually hearing from the Lord and God speaking because he does it all the time. And so you're ready for whatever God has next. You're ready to become the person that God's calling you to be. You're ready, you're ready to do things for the Lord that you've never done. You're ready to invite that friend to church. You're ready to throw that neighborhood party. You're ready to get serious about learning the Bible, those sorts of things. But you're also ready to take that next step in the dream. You're ready to trust God with your money. You're ready to trust God with your future. You're ready to defeat that sin. You're ready to overcome that bitterness. You're ready to forgive that hurt. You're ready to reconcile that relationship. You're ready for it. You're ready to ask for the healing. You're ready to say yes to Jesus. Some of you have struggled with that. You're ready to get baptized. You're ready. You're ready for all these things because when God calls you to these things, he doesn't call you to them with a big laundry list of things to go do before you're ready. He actually calls you to them because he knows you're ready. He calls you to them because he's with you already. He's already prepared you for the moment. And he says, will you trust me? Will you step into this with me? You don't need what you think you need. So today, what I want you to identify, if you could put those back on the screen real quick. Maybe you need to identify about yourself that you are struggling with self-doubt. Maybe that's your struggle. Maybe for some of you, it's doubts about God. Or maybe for some of you, you struggle with, you need natural things to add up. You struggle with the supernatural. Identify what it is up here that maybe the Lord is saying, I want you to let go of that. And I want you to believe in the actionable truth that you're a mighty warrior, that you can trust in my word, that I always do the most with the least.
Maybe we could look at this and say, man, I don't even know what defense is. <laughs> and we're ready to go on offense. And I say this, and I do want to say one thing, because I often think about these radical calls to faith and courage and the way the world has interpreted them to mean. First of all, I don't believe radical faith means you have to go and, you know, turn in the retirement, sell the assets, and, you know, move somewhere else in the world. I don't always believe that. I think sometimes the most radical thing you can do is actually in the ordinary moments of your day in which you would do the courageous act to create a conversation with a friend that includes the love of the, the love of the Lord in it. Sometimes that's the most courageous, radical act that people can do. Yet we try and we try and categorize these courageous calls of the Lord into, oh, I'm supposed to quit my job or I'm supposed to I'm supposed to do this this big big thing with and sometimes God calls us to big ministry calls in our life but most of the time what he does he says will you be faithful and courageous in the things you already know with the life that's in front of you with the people and places you intersect every day will you be radical in those spaces will you trust me with who I'm calling you to be because you're ready mighty warrior it's time to quit telling ourselves all the reasons that we can't and to hear and receive the whisper that you're a mighty warrior. You don't need any more fleeces. You don't need any more assurances or security. You're ready. You know, this whole church, and I'm about done, this whole church, I believe, was predicated by a group of people coming together that we saying this, we are tired of mediocre versions of faith. When there's a world out there that is desperate for people who will relentlessly scale the walls of normalcy for the sake of God's kingdom. That's why this church exists, is that we don't want to be people who walk away from the, from the stream of fear and trembling and go home. We want to be the people who will scale the walls of normalcy for the sake of God's kingdom. That's who we want to be. That's what we want to be about. And so today, and I'll finish with this, maybe for you, maybe there's someone in this room that you're ready to say yes to Jesus. Maybe the thing that you're ready for, the thing that God's calling you to, is to say yes to Jesus. And I know at any time in a gathering like this, there's probably someone or somebody or maybe a whole group of people that have never said yes to Jesus. And I'm not asking, do you go to church? I'm not asking, do you, do you want to do the right thing? I'm not even asking if you believe in God. I'm asking you a very specific question. Have you ever had the moment in which you've surrendered your life to Jesus and said, I am going to become a follower of Jesus for the rest of my life? Have you ever had that moment? Because it's in that moment that you actually find life. It's in that moment that things change and transform. When we confess Jesus as Lord and we say, God, I can't do life without you. I'm a sinner. I need you, Jesus, more than anything else. You are the giver of life. You are the giver of hope. All of my meaning will come from you. Whenever we can finally say that and we surrender our life to Jesus, we not only enter into life in the here and now at its at, at the most potential fullest measure of the life that God has given us in the physical, but he's also given us life eternally. And we find, we find that all the peace and, 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 the, and the answers we need to our eternity are found in Christ because we get to have eternity with him versus an eternity that's eternally separated from him. When, this is all when we say yes to Jesus. And so maybe today for some of you, this is your moment when you say, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. I'm praying that you would have the courage to take that step of faith today. Would you bow your heads with me?
I want to invite anyone in here today that would say, I need to give my life to Christ. Say, I've never said yes to Jesus, and you're ready to say yes. If you want to do that today, it's real simple. If you want to make the choice to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you just need to say, Jesus, I give you my life. That's all you need to say. You just need to say, Jesus, I give you my life. In fact, if, if today you want to give your life to Christ, you want to say yes to Jesus, would you just whisper that prayer right now? Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Just say that. Just repeat what I'm saying right now. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. If you're saying that prayer right now, if you said that line, I want you to say a couple more lines with me. I want you to say, Jesus, I ask for forgiveness of my sin. Just whisper that. Jesus, I ask for forgiveness of my sin. And finally, I want you to pray this. Jesus, I will follow you for the rest of my life. Just whisper that. Jesus, I will follow you for the rest of my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I will follow you for the rest of my life. And if you just prayed that prayer, I, I want to ask you to do something. Everybody's heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you be courageous enough to just say, yeah, I just prayed that prayer. Just lift your hand. I'm, I'm just gonna, I want to pray for you, actually, right now. Just anywhere in the room, anybody pray that prayer that I can just pray for you right now. Just lift your hand wherever you're at. All right, I see you, man. That's good. Anybody else? Well, Father, I pray for anybody and those that even lifted their hands and anybody that is stirred by um, your spirit right now to give their life to you. I just pray for them that, Lord, this opportunity, this would be this would be their moment in which they root their life in you, Father. They would root their life in you and they would never be the same. So, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name for um, so many things today. We just pray that, Lord, we would step into the things you've called us into. And that we would trust you with whatever you have, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.